Welcome to the Crossover Cellist. I'm your host, Louis Patzner, and today we have a very special episode. This is a political interview with Janani Ramachandran, who's running for State Assembly in the 18th District, and I just felt like it's really easy to follow politics on a national level, and much harder to do it on a local level, but that's actually where we, the voters, have the most say and, and can make the biggest impact. So I reached out to uh, her campaign, and amazingly, they were interested and gave me a good 15 minutes to ask her questions about uh, various parts of her platform. So in case you don't know, uh, the state assembly is like the it's the lower house of the state legislature. So you have the state senate. So our senator or my senator is Nancy Skinner. And then um, our old assemblyman was Rob Bonta, who is appointed uh, state attorney general by the governor. So his seat is vacant. And there was a uh, first round of voting. And none of the candidates uh got more than 50%, so now we're in a runoff election, and the two candidates are uh, Janani and Mia Bonta, who's Rob Bonta's wife. Um, I do have a call out to the Mia Bonta campaign to try to get an interview with her as well, so I'm really hoping that that comes together. Um, Talking about Janani Ramachandran, I'm just going to read some stuff from her website. Uh, Janani is running for state assembly in District 18 because of unprecedented challenges of COVID-19 and worsening income inequality, environmental catastrophes, and racial injustices. These problems demand a fresh perspective from a leader who has been working directly with her communities for years. California doesn't need just another Democrat in Sacramento. We need a bold advocate who isn't bought by corporate interest groups and who will deliver real progressive change for Californians. Giannani's fearlessness in the fight for justice starts with six key policy principles. Housing is a human right. We must proclaim that right, beginning by enacting a moratorium on all evictions and foreclosures during the pandemic, by providing better services for our houseless neighbors, and by repealing oppressive laws such as Costa-Hawkins and the Ellis Act. Economic opportunity is a human right. Every California deserves the ability to have a stable job and economic independence. We must prioritize the growth and development of small businesses in the post-pandemic recovery period. Safety in our homes and communities is a human right. We must radically reimagine our criminal justice system to heal survivors and perpetrators of harm in order to end toxic cycles of violence. We can start by prioritizing proven interventions, including transformative justice programs and mental health services with a culturally centered lens. Healthcare is a human right. We must implement our own Medicare for All network because every California deserves quality care. A living wage is a human right. We must align the minimum wage to California's true cost of living, at least $22 an hour which will lift millions of California families out of poverty while strengthening our community. Clean air is a human right. We must enact a Green New Deal quickly because California's extreme climate events and deadly toxic pollutants harm us all, especially low-income communities of color. And then here's her bio. 
Janani is an East Bay native. She's the daughter and granddaughter of immigrants from a small South Indian village who worked tirelessly every day to give her the opportunity to pursue her dreams. Janani's passion for justice was evident at an early age. At 16, while relocating to India for a few years, she founded a nonprofit that built libraries and under-resourced schools in her local community. After graduating from Stanford University, Janani worked as a home-visiting case manager at a community health clinic serving immigrant mothers experiencing domestic violence and homelessness. Witnessing the horrors her clients face at the hands of our inequitable legal system, she was driven to make a difference as a lawyer and attended Berkeley Law. There, Janani represented tenants facing eviction from some of Oakland's most notoriously corrupt landlords. This inspired her to want to affect change at a higher level. She has previously served on the Oakland Public Ethics Commission and currently serves on the California Commission on Asian and Pacific Islander American Affairs. She recently worked as an attorney at Family Violence Appellate Project pursuing legal appeals and advocacy efforts to improve access to justice for all survivors of abuse. Janani is running for state assembly because the time for timid ideas is over. We need bold solutions and leaders with the courage to fight for them. With your help, we can put the people first in Sacramento and have California's first South Asian assemblywoman and first LGBTQ API assemblywoman by electing Janani Ramachandran, who is fearless in the fight for justice. If elected, Janani would be just one of three tenants in our legislature out of 120 lawmakers. So I hope that wasn't too boring. All of that is on our website. And here's the interview. My guest is uh, Janani Ramachandran, who is running for a member of the State Assembly in the 18th Assembly District. And that's my district. Uh, I live in Oakland. And thank you so much for being on the show. So I think that we have a lot of artists listening to the podcast, maybe more than uh, percentage-wise than other podcasts. And one really important issue for us is housing and increasing rent prices. And I'm wondering, what are your policy proposals for uh, how to address that? Absolutely. Firstly, I want to mention that uh, I'm excited to be here because I am a performing artist myself. Um, Oh, really? Yeah, absolutely. I was trained as a classical singer when I was younger. Um, I did classical Indian music and and later uh, delved into a little bit of theater as well. Um, That's that's awesome. Yeah. um, I have had written actually one play before and it performing took a little bit of a backseat in law school to be honest but um, it used to be very much a daily part of my life so I'm very excited to connect with other artists in the district and um, you know talk a little bit about me and some of the policies that we all care about yeah wonderful Um, so housing yes housing is a major part of my you know, it's getting harder for people to live where they work and be able to afford in cities that they might they might be from or have lived been living in for a long time. Um, and I think that's a combination of a couple of things. Firstly, in the Bay Area um, and all of California, really, but especially in the East Bay, we um, don't have strong enough tenant protections. And that's honestly one of the reasons that I chose to jump into this race was was working in my most recent legal job with individuals who were being evicted during the middle of the pandemic. 
um, elderly people, folks who had children with disabilities, folks who were incredibly vulnerable of all times during the pandemic being evicted and left out of so many of our state laws. And one perspective that I bring to the state legislature is as a tenant, I would be just one out of three tenants um, among 120 lawmakers. Um, almost 30% of our legislature are not only homeowners, but are landlords. So there's a different perspective that comes when you have those kinds of policies. Um, and, th and that matters because rent prices are constantly increasing in um, places like the East Bay. Any new construction, you know, is not rent controlled. You know, if someone moves out of a unit that's been rent controlled for a while, um, it jumps it jumps back to market rate when someone new comes in. And the roots behind some of this unaffordability and constant jump of prices is a state law called Costa-Hawkins. Um, you know, Oakland, Certainly would, you know, for example, I live in Oakland, um, mm -hmm. so Oakland leaders would love to expand rent control, would love to, you know, create more housing, housing that remains affordable. But because of this state law, Costa-Hawkins, that's prevented from happening. So one of my priorities is to repeal Costa-Hawkins so people can stay in the communities and neighborhoods they care about and afford to live where they work and where they have communities, family, etc. Okay, yeah, thanks so much. Um, sort of uh, to to build on the housing question, in Oakland, there is a a culture of non-permitted live workspaces. And this was um, kind of brought to the national stage with the really tragic ghost ship fire. Um, but, but I think, you know, when talking to members of the community, that place was a mess. And to me, uh, you know, I can say from experience um, that m most of these spaces are very well run and uh, there's a large amount of frustration in the community with how difficult it is to get permitted uh, because it's not like people want to be non-permitted. People want to do things the right way, but there is so much red tape um, and uh, it seems like the uh, the political establishment uh, is not interested in making this easier. I wonder if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, I think, you know, I have a lot of friends who have lived in live workspaces, in co-ops, in, you know, residential communities that don't look like the others. And I think we need to expand what can constitute as housing. Sure, we need to make sure there's stronger uh, safety um, uh, implementations in place and, you know, passing health and safety code inspections and things like that. But we really, because it's so unaffordable to live in the East Bay, we need to expand our concept of what can be safe, stable, affordable housing. And I think live workspaces are, are one of those ideas. Uh, uh, Co-ops and cooperatives, which I used to live in, um, mm. are a part of that as well. Um, you know, in, in college, for example, I lived amongst a lot of other artists um, mm -hmm. in a co-op and, you know, rent is significantly cheaper and, and it's more affordable and there's a sense of community um, and shared space and shared place to do art of different kinds. And I think that's important to cultivate as well and expand as long we can, as we can do so safely to prevent another ghost ship. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um uh, let's to pivot a little bit. I got a text from one of your supporters, uh, you know, al uh, alerting to me to the fact that there was an election at all. And um, I responded saying, uh, is she pro-universal basic income? And they said yes. 
and I, uh, I to me, direct cash um, politics is a really interesting and exciting uh, place to be right now, and it seems to be gaining traction. And um, what what are your thoughts when it comes to direct cash policies uh, in the state of California? Yeah, I think that um, you know UBI programs are awesome, and then you put cash directly in the hands of people people can make the smartest decisions for themselves as to where to spend it without, you know, government interference, without others saying, you know, it's often in paternalistic ways, oh, this is how you should be spending it. And I think that autonomy is really important, particularly for folks who are struggling and know best what, um, you know, cash should be used for. I think the cities that have implemented it, of course, starting in Stockton most famously, Mm -hmm. um, have, you know, seen good results. And, I'd be interested in exploring what that would look like on a statewide level. I think, you know, one of the ways I care about the same concept, um, and a, but implementing a little different way would be to raise the minimum wage to $22 an hour, you know, a jump from 15, um, which is important because that it means you put more cash in the hands of people. Because right now, if you work a minimum wage job in Oakland, you'd have to work 89 hours a week to be able to afford a one-bedroom apartment. And that's completely an unsustainable lifestyle. So it's another way to put money in the hands of working-class people. Um, but open to exploring you know, UBI at a statewide level, too. I think that'd be great to think about. Okay, thank you. Um, I, have, I have a listener question. Uh, this comes from uh, Anaya Rose. Um, what are your thoughts on the uh, prison closures in the state, and would you publicly support the repeal of three strikes? Yeah, 100%. I would support the repeal of three strikes. Um, and prison closures, yeah, I mean, we carcerate more than any other country. We carcerate in a racist way, we carcerate in a way that's inequitable against um, our communities of color. And at way, way higher rate than we need to. We incarcerate our mentally ill population rather than give people services. We incarcerate survivors of domestic violence rather than offer people options um, for safety and for you know well-being. We incarcerate immigrants um, and put them into cages for reasons unrelated to anything. Um, and of course, we put we put children in cages, which you know would be something that would be my immediate focus. Um, mm-hmm. How can we? Completely, how can we completely reform the juvenile um, delinquency process? How do we make sure that children cannot be charged as adults? Um, and there has been recent legislation um, from organizations that have actually uh, worked alongside, like the East Bay Community Law Center and Policy Advocacy Clinic at Berkeley Law School. I've got friends that work there um, who have advocated for, you know, treat, not treating, I believe it was 13 and 14 year olds as adults, um, but we need to expand that, not treating any child as an adult. Um, in any kind of criminal proceeding, which will hopefully reduce, start to reduce our prison population. Um, it's it's very it's an issue very important to me. Um, also, an off-ramp for individuals that are incarcerated for, you know, crimes. For example, there are a lot of individuals who are human trafficking survivors that are in jail. Um, often have people who have committed crimes as a result of human trafficking or are in part and parcel with that, and we need to make sure there's a clear off-ramp for that. We need to make sure that there's a process for uh, individuals to be uh, pardoned more easier, um, you know, and parole. There's a whole set of parole reforms we need to have happen. Um, the uh, parole board needs to be overhauled right now. It constitutes often probation officers and people in the law enforcement system rather than 
social workers, community members, formerly incarcerated people, people who should have a seat at the table. Um, sorry, I can go on about this forever, but there's oh, yeah. aspects of the prison, uh, the, the prison industrial complex that needs to be overhauled. Yeah, I know justice is like, a. I mean, it's a it's a a, a big deal for you, uh, you being a um, social justice attorney and everything. And so we mentioned Stockton, the the mayor of or former mayor of Stockton, Mark, Michael Tubbs, um, is advocating for the end of qualified immunity in for police. And I was wondering what your thoughts on that are. Yeah, that is loud and clear on my platform. Um, I supported SB two, which would. Start the process of ending qualified immunity because, you know, oftentimes we have police officers in Oakland who are, you know, have committed harm, who even have committed murder in, um, in many ways and then are let go and then hired by Vallejo or Modesto or, or whatnot. And we need to make sure that if you have committed an act of violence um, in your job, you should not, you should be decertified, period. Uh, you should not be able to work in. We have a police bill of rights. We should not be having a police bill of rights. You know, the rights of police are not beyond and above the rights of people, um, of, of other people. And, you know, those are things that are super important as well. But yeah, um, ending qualified immunity is incredibly, incredibly important to slowly getting to justice. Um, you know, last year there were a total of 1,172 people who were killed by police and almost none of their families have gotten any kind of justice. Right. We need to change that. Okay. Um, I, I want to be respectful of your time, so maybe just one more question. Sure. Um, uh, talking about um, environment and, you know, environmental concerns, uh, you're, you say on your platform, we have to enact the Green New Deal quickly. Um, the Green New Deal calls for the end of commercial air travel. And to me, the answer um, or a response to that to make that work is uh, high-speed rail, but also just updating uh, our the way that we um, – power ourselves, power our cars, and uh, where is this energy going to come from? Uh, and, um, you know, to me, I think um, thorium nuclear energy is maybe something that we can consider. So uh, whatever your thoughts are. Yeah, uh, I could go on about a Green New Deal for a very long time. Um, you know, we do need to expand access to renewables. Um, we need to hold... Um, corporate polluters accountable. We need to ban fracking and phase out fossil fuels, you know, not 25 years from now, as Newsom is suggesting, but now we need to start that process. Now we need to, you know, deal with wildfire mitigation. Uh, we need to increase um, emission free buses um, and emission free mm. rail as well. Um, but buses are super important to me because we have so many um, low income communities in this district who don't have access to bus lines, who live extremely far from public transit. So you don't have these options um, that often folks in, who live in more gentrified or privileged areas do. Public transit goes part and parcel with addressing climate change um, and hold, holding corporate polluters accountable, banning fracking, all of that. Mm -hmm. Do you have thoughts on nuclear energy? Um. I don't really have a position on it. I'm, I'm open to exploring it, but I know that comes with a, yeah, I'm just, I'm just going to leave it no, right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, having an open mind, I think is a, a very admirable approach. Uh, well, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, this is my first political interview. So thanks for bearing with me. And I really wish you luck in the election. Thank you.
All right. Have a great rest of your day. Okay. Yeah, you too. Yeah. Goodbye. Bye. That was Janani Ramachandran, who's running for state assembly. I'm really grateful to her and her team for doing this interview, setting it up. Uh, I think we agree that she's a very pleasant lady. And uh, I, I thought she had some uh, interesting things to say. Uh, the issue of the non-permitted live workspaces is something that one of my previous guests, uh, Jonah Strauss, brought up. Uh, on this podcast. If you're interested in hearing that interview, that's on episode 29 with Jonah Strauss and Zoe Stiller from Survivor Sound. So that's it. I hope we get Mia Bonta on the podcast, and we'll probably have more artist interviews as well, although I pretty much have no schedule, and I do this whenever I feel like it. So I hope that's okay with you guys. And remember, it's not celloist. It's chillest!